Today, we devote the next half hour to theology. And a little something extra you didn't expect. This is Lanyap Theology. I am Professor Todd Amick. And I'm Dr. Dave Delio from the University of Holy Cross. And we're here with Lanyap Theology, Season 3, Episode 2. Our first episode that we did this season was kind of a, a look back at what we've done the first two seasons, and also, but also a look forward of what we want to do uh, and accomplish in this season, which is we're going to focus on this word, person. Right. We're going to look at the concept, and, and, and Dave, you're going to kind of take the four with this and walk us through one of the biggest presuppositions that we have. Because no matter what we're talking about, we, we are talking about it. There's a we that's talking. We have some sense of ourselves. But I think one of the challenges that we experience, and I certainly experienced this as I researched the concept of person, and as a theologian, of course, this is one of probably the top 10 concepts that, that just to, not even to be proficient, but just to be competent, you have to have a, a pretty good sense of. That's right. As I'm exploring that, I'm, I'm constantly asking the question, like, how is this not just not assumed? Right. Because we assume this today. How is this not assumed at every step? So just like in season one, we asked, what is theological awareness? What are the tools that allow us to glean the, the gift of the Christian tradition and to enter into that tradition ourselves? In season two, we explored kind of the heart of the gospel. What is this narrative? What is this story of the God who is in love with us and who invites us into love and fellowship with God's self? Here in season three, we're asking, okay, but who is, the, who is the I, who is the me that enters into that dialogue and interrelation with God and with others? That's right. And the, the answer to it, though, is actually surprising, because the beginning of that answer starts with God himself. And uh, in other words, that when we—it's it, it's a very—it's it's kind of a, an, an irony— where when I want to know myself, I actually have to ask about the other. And in, 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 in the deepest sense, I have to ask about my creator, not just my parents, but something even deeper than that. And we're aware of it. Right. And, and I would say not, not just an irony, but, but, but even more specifically, a paradox. Right. right. Something that seems to be in conflict, and yet when you hold these two truths together, a deeper, more profound truth is, is, is revealed that, right. that draws out what's real and true and beautiful about each of them. That's right. So, and, and you know, you know I, I talk to my students about this because they all consider themselves persons. I mean, it's, as you said, it's assumed. There's two things that I've always that I've become very aware of as as a professor. Number one is historical thinking is actually really hard. A lot of people think, well, we live in an age of history where you know, I mean, you can see history happening in front of our eyes on the internet. You can, I mean, there are literally hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of history books on the history of the world. We've never been more in, in the history of the world. We've never been more aware of history, and yet. The reason why it took about 1,800 years from the birth of Christ for us to truly become, let's say, imbued with history, that history had been happening in the ancient world, many times in, um, in myth and in story and in legend, um, the, the Jews were actually one of the first historical peoples 
um, that we, we really know of that actually tried to not only recount the history of God, but the history of their people through, through the eyes of God. Which couldn't be separated from each other. That's right. And then you have Greek historians who were telling tales of, um, and, and sometimes more accurate than others, of what was happening in the ancient in kingdoms and empires. Um, and that gets absorbed in the Christian tradition. And so history's always been a part of the Christian tradition. It's even in the creed. I mean, why do we talk about that Jesus was crucified under Pontius Pilate, like a particular guy? Does it matter? It does. It really matters. But it wasn't until kind of about four to 500 years ago that writing about history and kind of a grand narrative of like what's going on in the world takes shape in the Renaissance, and then it becomes it becomes kind of further and further brought out. And today, we have professional historians who comment on everything. We have the History Channel. We have all of these things. And yet, what I'll, what I'll submit to you is that thinking historically, like keeping dates and facts and, and names and times uh, arranged, is really, really hard. It's as hard as doing uh, a quadratic proof or, or doing calculus or physics. Right, I would agree with you, and I think part of the reason may be that as much as we have so much kind of raw material uh, to be able to do historical work and to be able to to engage and think historically, there there are certain human virtues, the 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 me, the I, the we, that actually do history, um, that enter into what's what's called sometimes a, an an historical sympathy. There's a virtue where we have to engage our imaginations, we have to hold certain things that we now know, and say, what if we didn't know those, place ourselves sympathetically in another time period, right. and, and most of us, as much as we can say, I'm empathetic, we're not sympathetic. Right. And so without that skill, it's very difficult to imagine things as other than what they are. That's right. And I think this also, you know, with regard to theology, and also potentially a, a, a challenge um, and a, a, a bit of a, a detour, a pitfall with catechetics, I think that kind of highlights the difference between theology and catechesis. Catechesis uh, is often given ahistorically. You know, these are the four principles of such and such. Here's the doctrines of the Church. Right. This is a formula. This has been gleaned from the, the tradition which, the Christian tradition of 2,000 plus years, and the tradition even beyond that, which goes even to, to an ahistorical period. Right. So we get those principles. The challenge, though, is that when somebody matures, and they say, well, well, how can I really understand these if I don't understand where they came from, came from. if I can't appreciate and incorporate them? They look for that sympathy, but if they haven't been given those skills, um, then, then, then catechesis begins to lose some of its power, some of its force. Especially when someone walks in the room and says, well, did you know that the Gospels weren't formed for about 100 years? You know, and all of a sudden, what? Right, I mean, right. Or, you know, that these are the recorded statements of Jesus. It wasn't like they had a stenographer right there on the Sermon on the Mount writing down every single word. That These Ooh. are memories of a community right. being taught through an apostle who's been inspired by the Holy Spirit, and then the writer was inspired to record the word. I mean, and that becomes what, you know, and yes. I, I've seen people get, get really surprised by that. I mean, the, you know, the other piece of, so uh, the things that I've discovered with, with, with engaging my students is historical thinking is very hard, and we're going to be asking you to do some of that in, in these next few programs. Our but listeners so, are sympathetic, so they'll be good. Right, exactly. But, and, and like you said, Todd, it, it requires imagination. You have to kind of break out of your everyday, because our everyday just surrounds us. Jobs, bills, kids, 
the environment, you know, is it sunny outside? Is it raining outside? You know how much that impresses upon us and actually shapes how we even think. So we're always responding to our constant present. You have to kind of step out of those shoes and go into another world. The other piece, though, I want to say that I that I talk with my students, when, when especially when you say the word, well, you're a person, and they're like, well, duh, of course. Right. I, then I'll say, okay, well, say this statement to yourself. I know myself. And they'll say, well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, of course. And, and I will say, okay, well, who's the I and who's myself? Because you have two different sides of that, the no piece. I know myself. Interesting, yeah. In other words, I, it becomes... What I, what I try to say to them, you guys think of yourselves as a person in a self-referential way. But actually, when you, when you actually look at that sentence, it kind of makes no sense. Because can you reverse it? Can you say, myself knows I? You know, in other words, well, then who is the myself? And then who is the I? In other words, what I want to kind of get at with, with what we're talking about person is that there's a fundamental relationship that you're never going to know yourself until you know the other that actually formed and created yourself, which is God. That you can't, in other words, personhood relies as much on self-knowledge as it does on relational knowledge. And, and that's what we want to kind of do in this, in, in this show is say, but even in saying that, that's something new that in, in a sense in the history of the world wasn't really kind of formulated and understood until the Christian tradition picked up on this term and began to break that open. Right, and I think that parallel structure is going to be helpful to help us to be able to see, okay, if, if even historically the concept of person required the concept of God, then also in my own self, the, the understanding of person, my own self-understanding of person, might also then require a certain understanding of God. That's right. And it, I mean, and, and even, and I'll take it one step further, to know myself, I have to, there has to be God. I mean, in other words, not just... Emphasis on the word no at right. this point. And right, it's, and it's not simply like there's the concept of God requires person or person requires the concept of God. To be a person requires God. You can't call yourself a person, according to the Christ, what the Christian tradition would argue, if you don't have God as the primary foundation. And, and which, you know, I mean, some students are like, what? No, I mean, I... I, I am always a person. I right. always reflect. I always right. was, right? And so that's that's kind of what... That's, I think, the scandal and the uh, the wonder of that word. That it in inside of itself, it doesn't mean you can just self-reflect and say, I'm a human person. I got my own thing. I'm my own thing. It actually breaks you open to say, no, 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 there's something bigger and greater, and that's actually how I can only understand myself. There is a grounding of my personhood. My being. Right. right. And so, you know, I, the thing I want to say is this. It doesn't mean when we talk about the human person that there haven't been words throughout history. Sometimes we say um, nature. You know, when, when you have a kid and you have, you have one kid who's a quiet kid and you have a kid who's rambunctious and just ripping stuff off the shelves. And you're going to say, that's Johnny's nature or that's Susan's nature. She's very shy. That's her nature. That's one way of talking about person. Sometimes we say we use the word individual. OK, and, and, and indeed, if you look in other cultural languages, they will have something that signifies it. So in other words, what I want to say is all human beings have kind of known the word. But it actually took Christian revelation, and I would argue it took Christ himself to fulfill the, the kind of the meaning and understanding that brings it 
to a place where today we can say, without even hesitation, I'm a human person. And, and now know what that means. In, in a full sense. Right. So, so it sounds like what you're saying is that certainly we can look back and we can see in, in Hesiod, we can see Homer. I mean, we could, we could say, okay, Achilles, we, we get descriptions of what Achilles is doing. Right. Right. We might even get descriptions of what Achilles is thinking. Right. But we don't seem to get is, but, but this kind of self-reflection on the individual and unique element that is Achilles. Right. The personhood of Achilles. Right. So we've got the, the, the patrimony, we've got this, this deposit, if you will, of Western civilization. That's what's so great and, about... And somewhat in the East. In the East, would, right. And I would, I would say at least India. Um, uh, f- Far East Asia, so, um, and obviously we say Far East in reference only to us, um, uh, because obviously, you know, when we're on the when we're in the world, the east could be west. In other words, if you get on a plane in California, where are you traveling? You're not right. traveling to the east, which kind of tells us something about our self-referentialism, right? Bingo. And so, but 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 I would say, like, so for for Japanese culture or Chinese culture or or the cultures that were really either influenced or populated by it, their notion of person is almost at least an ancient before before kind of the incursion of the west. Um, is almost absent. They don't. They don't think in that way. They they think in a much in a much very different in a very different way. And we'll talk about that on the other side of the break, which is so it, it's it's not as universal as we'd want to say that everybody knows it, but we do want to say that it definitely preceded the Christian tradition and was and and was prior to it. Um, but it took the fulfillment of the Christian tradition to get it there. And on the other side of the break, we'll explore that historical development. Hey y'all, this is Matt Picard from Brobers, Louisiana. I'm a senior theology major at the University of Holy Cross, New Orleans. I'd like to tell you why I chose to become a part of the Holy Cross family. My time here has been challenging, but in a good way, the way I want to be challenged. I've grown in mind, heart, and body. As a theology major, I've learned about the Catholic tradition and philosophy while expanding my faith and understanding. My heart has grown in service to others as past theology club president, lecturer at mass, and through a variety of community projects, As a former high school athlete, I have also enjoyed fellowship in sports and activities with my friends at Holy Cross. I could have chosen a variety of excellent majors at the university, but I chose theology because of my passionate desire to know more about God, Christ, and His church. I know with this foundation that whatever I choose, I will be successful and more fulfilled knowing how my faith relates to all that I do. To learn more about our theology program, please visit our website at uhcno.edu backslash theology. I'm Professor Todd Amick. Dr. Dave Delio. And on this now, the the backside of the break, what we're going to do is we're going to explore the the development, the genealogy of the concept person. And this is particularly important because we we see, as as we discussed earlier, that that the narrative, kind of the story that plays in the background, kind of that, that, that little music icon you have where you let it play and you minimize it. Uh, it would be very different whether you had kind of screech hard rock or whether you had classical music or whether you had Tom Petty or whether you had some other singer in there. Well, the story, the narrative in the Christian tradition is a particular and powerful narrative of who God is and who we are. And we're going to see the way that that develops through the historical development of the concept person. Right on. And I think to begin the story... What we want to say is that 
what we were saying on the, uh, before the break, which is in the ancient world, uh, they had a concept of like an individual personality, personality traits, but because they didn't have kind of the revealed notion of who God is or the revealed truth of who God is, they couldn't kind of come to completion. And this has been something that, the, you know, philosophers and theologians have been arguing this since the 1950s. Um, Etienne Gilson, uh, who's a, a great Catholic kind of historian and philosopher, raised the point that for all of those who are talking about personhood today, especially those who are non-Christian, he's going to say that you wouldn't even be talking about this word if it weren't for the Christian reflection and, and Christian revelation which then kind of excited a bunch of secular philosophers who came back at him and said, absolutely not, it's always been there. It's always, and, and, and Gilson would say, if the church had not been reflecting on God the way he did, or it did, it would never come up. You wouldn't, we wouldn't even be having this debate right now. So be aware of that. I, I do an exercise in my, my workshop uh, that's similar to this, where I, I give a hypothetical, and, and in this one, um, you know, I tell, and, and, and many of our students are, 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 are women and young women, and I'll say, okay, your, your friend has been mistreated by somebody. You know, her, her, her dignity has been, you know, has been, has been uh, uh, abused in some fashion. Someone really hurt her feelings. Um, now, what you're going to do is you're going to respond to her, and you're going to affirm her dignity. You're going to affirm her value. In essence, you're going to affirm her personhood. And so they're listening. They're, okay, that's good. You know, this is theology workshop. I'm good. I can easily do that essay. And then I said, but, but now, you know, this is the kicker. You can't appeal at all to anything, anything that's been derived from the Christian tradition. So as, a, as an attorney, um, you know, we, we would call that the, the, the fruit of the, the, the poisonous tree, you know, where if, if, if a piece of evidence is found, everything that comes necessarily from that evidence, unless it could be found by, by another means, likely found by another means, can't be admissible in court. So if you do something illegal to get some evidence, if the state does, all the evidence that came from that can also potentially be excluded. Well, this is the fruit of the, the fruitful tree. You know, everything that comes from the Christian notion of God, the specifically Catholic and Christian notion, has to be excluded. And so my students begin at a, a very natural level, and it taxes them, where they say, okay, you know, one of them will write about, when I look into your eyes, I recognize there's something special and meaningful that no one else has. And another one will say, when we spend this time together, and another one will appeal to some, and it's interesting how in many cases, instead of, of simply speaking in the abstract, uh, I remember one girl coming up to me and saying, like, this is the conversation I need to have with Barbara. Mm. And and you'll actually see in the essay, Barbara, comma, and everything follows. Right. Then the next essay I give them is, okay, now, now you can appeal to the Christian tradition. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I, think that, um, I think that when you begin to say, where do things come from, and you begin to realize the predominance of certain things we say. So, for example, we would say, oh, I'm made in the image of God. I mean, we're just, you know, that's, we would say all people are made in the image of God. Oh, especially I mean, Catholic culture. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and so, and, and I would say that that word looms large into our notion of person. And in other words, that the, the Jewish people had had the notion of person in its most profound sense without using that word. Um, you know, for millennia. And because they understood that they were made in the image of God, the image and likeness of God. So in, in, in the word um, image in, in Hebrew is selim, and the word likeness is demuth. And really what it meant was there, th that the human person is upright and aware 
and can think, but not just with the mind, but with the heart, um, they would say that that is what it means to be in the image. But it also meant that we are in fundamental relationship through covenant with God. And so uh, that those, the groundwork of what we're talking about it begins in the Jewish and not necessarily in, in the pagan in the pagan world. Although the pagan world, oddly enough, used the word person sometimes, and they used it in, in two ways. Um, the first, the, the word comes in to mean mask, okay? And it, in both Greek and in, in Latin, uh, the word persona. And, and you, when you hear the word persona, you're like, oh yeah, like a persona, like, like an actor would have. Well, that's exactly where it came in. Okay. And, and it also was used in the Greek, the Greek sense of prosopon, which literally means behind the eyes, which meant someone wore a mask. And so, but here's the difference, and this is an essential one. In the ancient world, if you were an actor, you were considered literally right above a slave. There was no celebrity in being an actor. An actor no Entertainment Tonight, no People Magazine, no? No, it would be more like how people tend to th- see kind of um, circus folk, mm-hmm. you know, that... Circus folk are not celebrities, okay? They're like, you got the ringmaster and you got the girl who does the thing with the baton and, and the trapeze artist. That would be more how an ancient actor was looked upon. They come into, they come into town or they, or they have their show and it's over with. They weren't looked at like Leonardo DiCaprio or Brad Pitt or Angelina Jolie or whatever. Kind of the, the, the whole history of the studio model in the 50s where all of a sudden we had superstars. Right. The, the, Before the, that it was white male 40, black female 30, and interchangeable in the roles. Right. The, the, the cult of celebrity around actors and actresses is actually something quite new. Um, and, and, and I don't mean just in the, I don't mean simply in film. I mean, the cult of celebrities maybe begins in, in Europe in, in, you know, in the 18th century uh, with opera stars and, 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 certain, and, and certain people like that, or great composers, like at one point in time, a Mozart. But this, that is very different from where the origin of the word person came from. These prosopon, these personas. If you were called a person, you might as well have been called an idiot, or in other words, a very low-lying kind of self-absorbed, because that's what the word idiot literally means, that person, the person who is, the, the man or woman who is self-absorbed. Not the sense in which we would hear it today. Right. But, right. And so in a, in a, it, what's important about that is to see that the, the word that we give so much exaltation and dignity to started in the lowliest of places. And... What's fascinating about it is, is when Christians started to debate, who is our God? Christ, Holy Spirit, Father. They started to use a lot of words. Well, how do we talk about those guys as not gods, but as in God? How, how is the Father both God and in God? How is the Word or the Son of God both down here as Jesus, but also in God. And God, right. And in the Holy Spirit. Right. And the thing is, is that you have two different language worlds in the, in the Christian world. You have the Latin kind of Latin Christians. And Associated had, with the West. Right. And you have Greek Christians, which is really kind of the native tongue of where, where Christianity is born is in Greek. Um, and they would use words like phusis or physics, you know, the, 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 which we would translate as nature. And then they would use another word called hypostasis, which means, which we would translate as substance, okay, which means kind of the, the, the deepest part of nature. And so they, that's how they would refer to God. Like, in other words, the word of God is a hypostasis, but he's part of the phusis or the nature of God, right? 
And in the Latin world, you have someone like Tertullian, who in the second, in the in the third century or the second and third century, is using the word persona and essence, so or nature, to to refer to God. Now that was a scandal. In fact, first Christians, you know, uh, uh, like a hundred or so years later, when when Augustine sees that, he's like, you can't use the word person to refer to God. You're you're, you're talking about actors. You know, the, the the lowest form of kind of entertainers to talk about the highest majestic, no. And Augustine said, absolutely not. We're going to let you do that. And Augustine had imbibed. I mean, he had, he had gone to the circuses. He had gone he to had the dramas. He had seen the shows. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. You, can't, you can't call, like, these people are, like, you know, fornicating on stage and, and after the mm-hmm. show. I mean, Augustine knew that world. Remember, he before he was a, a Christian, he, was, he ran in those circles. Right. So... So in other words, even that word person became, you know, a lightning rod, something debatable. And Augustine refused to use it in his his own theology. Um, And it never gets used, per se, in church doctrine, because church doctrine was um, written in Greek. Um, the, the, the early church councils. And so when we, when kind of the, the time came for the church, because there became a great debate on who is Jesus? Is he, is he God or is he a man or is he both or how does that work? Right. And this is in around the year 325. So the had, defining, right? That's right. The defining of the, the, of, of Christ. That's right. It, which, which really was the defining of Christ. You know, everybody thinks that the Council of Nicaea was about, um, in 325, was about God, but it was actually about Christ. And then, in other words, when we talk about Christ, what are we saying about God? Right. Right? And so what the, the problem that arose out of that was, well, what is the word of God? Is it another God? Is it a, kind of, is it below God? You know, was Jesus, for example, was he really God, or was he just like the next greatest thing? Or was he the greatest human being that God ever made? You know, is he like kind of a superman? And, and that becomes, All of which were actual points of debate and discussion. Absolutely. Yes. And, and, and you have to, because sometimes the scriptures are uh, ambiguous in that point. There's Jesus will say, I and the Father are one. And then another passage is he'll say, no one's greater than the Father. Right. Right? So which one is it, Jesus? You know, How do we hold these intentions to find the truth that God has revealed? Right. And, and this is the scandal. And I would just say, you know, the word person is such at the, and as you said earlier, uh, Todd, it's, it's at the, it's at the, in many ways, at the forefront of our faith. Because this is, in a sense, what the scandal is to the Jews, to the Jewish people. That, as Paul talks about, that how could, how could God show up as a little Jewish carpenter guy coming from Nazareth, ending up at Jerusalem crucified? That's impossible. Mm-hmm. That's a scandal. It's what, uh, in a sense, 600 years later, the, when, when Islam rises, one of the things they had to reject was the personhood of Christ in the way that we would understand it, because that's a scandal. He could be a prophet, but he can't be God and human at the same time. You've got to make a choice. And what, what the Christian kind of tradition ended up choosing to use that word is, is that it says it has this, this profound signification that God is God, and yet there's something unique within God, this relationality of these three persons, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, that don't cancel each other out. The oneness and the threeness don't cancel each other out. 
right? And I think what's what's so profound and so powerful about that is that as we see the historical development, and and I know that as I was preparing for my class on the creed, you know, we're exploring the creed, we're seeing its historical development, we're seeing the way that humans are, are incorporated into this 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 act of revelation, you know, for the formulas of the faith. My question is, if person is so important, the creed doesn't mention the the human person, right? And yet. Of course, as you reflect on the creed, which you realize is that in light of the God who has made all things visible and invisible, both of which are elements of us, we begin to realize who we are. That's right. And in the next episodes, what we're going to do is we're going to look at this historical development. We're going to see the way that the Old Testament has refreshed and fulfilled that, as well as the new, and then see some very practical engagements of what it means to be person through forgiveness, friendship, family, work, etc. We are Lanyap Theology. I'm Dr. Dave Delio. I'm Professor Todd Amick. And it was great being with you. We'll see you next time. Lanyap Theology is a production of Catholic Community Radio.